like you to open your Bible again tonight to the book of Matthew. We'll continue on a study of what is called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. As we enter into chapter 6 last week, we noted that in the first verse, Jesus said, Take heed that you do not your alms before men. And most every commentary that I have and most of the people that make remarks about these these verses uh, say that this should be uh, make sure that your righteousness or your righteous deeds or your righteous acts are not done to be seen of men. He mentions three things in chapter 6 specifically about what Christians do. These are not commandments to do them. I think it is expected that we as Christians will do what he mentions here, one, we, we will give alms. We will help the poor and the needy. We'll be so inspired to do that. I'll make another comment about that in just a moment. And he said, you will pray. We know from just living the Christian life that prayer is one of the main words in Christianity. It's one of the main things we're told to do. Uh, bumper stickers or the family that prays together, stays together, try prayer and stuff like that. And then the third thing he mentions, probably not quite as popular today as it should be, but it's required, it's, it's expected of us, is to fast, fasting. Not many people do, but it's mentioned in here not as a commandment, but as when you fast, not if you fast, when you fast. And then he'll end it with those verses in chapter 6 about taking no thought. That's a Christian life. That's the way we should live. And again, not many people do. And I think sometimes, like with lots of things the Bible teaches, people are offended because you preach it as though it should be done and people aren't doing it. And you should preach it as though you ought to do it, but you don't really have to if you don't want to. And the Bible doesn't teach us that the Bible is an option, does it? It says this is the way walk in. It's our place in life to learn what the Bible says. And then once we learn what the Bible says, it's... Now, up to you. Are you willing to do what it said? And it'll never be easy. Some things are easier than others, but, but this is the way we live. God gives information, and then we use our will to be doers of the Word and not just hearers only. Now, back again to chapter 6, just briefly for what we were in last week. Our acts of righteousness, or our right acts... The things that we do, sometimes they're called works. The things that we do that evidence what inspires us. We do this because we are inspired to do these things. And the first one he mentions here in verse 2, he says, Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, not if you give to the poor, not if you give to those that are needy, but when you do. And again, it is, it is expected of us as Christians that we will consider the poor. Even the poor amongst us should consider the poor. Because there's wonderful promises about what God does if you consider the poor. And we have many chances in this life. You can't always respond to every gimme and let me have and all of that that you see on the street corners and the bell ringers. I mean, you can't give to everything and support everything, but there are times you are inspired. For example, in 1 John 3, 17, uh, John writes, Whoso hath this world's good, and seeth a brother in need, 
and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him or his heart of compassion from him, then the question is, is this. How does the love of God dwell in you or in that person? It doesn't mean if you have a superabundance of this world's good. It said, whosoever hath this world's good. And you see a brother in need. Maybe not everybody sees that same brother or sister or, or need, but you do. God shows it to you. You feel that stirring within you to contribute or try to help in some way. And uh, this is one of the ways you show that you love God. Jesus said, as you've done it unto the least of these, you have done it unto me. And you remember, we, we read in Proverbs last week, in Proverbs 19 and verse 17, He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord. Now, pity and mercy are, in some cases, same and very similar words. He that shows mercy unto the poor... The Bible said, He that gives, shows pity unto the poor, lends unto the Lord. And said, And God will repay him. So you really can't lose. It didn't say here, If you have this world's good and you have pity on the poor, he just says, If you have pity and mercy on the poor, then you will lend unto the Lord, and the Lord will repay you what you gave. It'll come back. Now, you don't give in order to get it back. You give because it's the love of God that provokes and promotes and motivates you. That's the reason you give. It's because of God. And another verse that says in Proverbs 28 and 27, we read last week, it says, He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack. See, the word lack is equated with the word poverty. When you're in poverty, you are below what you need. You, you have less of what you need. You're deficient. When you have your needs met, you, that's all there is. You know, there's no more. When you live in abundance, you have more than enough. And I, I have heard people teach many years ago about giving your way out of poverty or giving your way out of debt. But sometimes the motive there is you're not giving because you love people or you love serving God this way, but you're giving as a sort of a selfish, carnal way to try to get more than you had before. But in any way, any motive that we have, God sees our hearts. He knows why we do what we do. He knows the reasons. He knows. Now, you notice, I didn't say this last week, but verse 3, But when thou doest thine alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, which is, you know, what I said about that. Your, your hand doesn't have a brain, and uh, there's no such thing as one hand knowing something another hand doesn't. Because your hands are only the servants of your mind, and that's what they are. Jesus said, you cut, you know, if this one offends you, cut it off. You know what the story is. You have to take whatever measures you have to take to prevent yourself from being so easily enticed and seduced into sins. And if, if it's TV that's making you sin, you need to turn it off and get rid of it. If it's sports, the same thing. If it's anything, whatever is compelling you to turn away from God or disobey God in some way, you need to deal with it and just literally sever it or cut it off or sever yourself from it. And so he said in verse 4, "...that thine alms may be in secret." And thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. It's good to know, as we said last week, that there are more than one verse about how God rewards an honest heart in giving and responding to God to give. And how God is willing to give to that person, reward them, or encourage them, and bless them. 
The word secret here doesn't mean that always like praying in the closet. That doesn't mean that you have to go somewhere where nobody's ever been. You don't crawl up in the corner of your attic and write a check or get your money out and put it in a little bag you're going to give to somebody. Being in secret is just a way of telling us that, that God wants us to do what we do as unto the Lord. It's between you and Him. You know, a lot of people try to determine how much they want to give when they get to church. Well, let me see, how much money do I have in my wallet? You know, you should do that before you get here. Or how much you want to give to the poor, you should ask the Lord, what do you want me to give? How much, Lord, it's your money, what do you want? And those things, you don't have to ask somebody else. You don't have to do it so somebody else can see how much you did. Sometimes you can't avoid giving when people see and you give. I mean, sometimes we used to pass the offering container through the aisles, and you could see what people gave because you looked. Then they started getting those little bags you put it in, and then you had a number on it, and that's how they knew how much you gave in the office. But that was better than some ways than just making a show of what you're giving. And secret has to do with, with you giving in such a way that it's between you and God. And you give because of an honest and sincere desire to please God with your giving, especially in helping the poor. You will never get away from the poor. Jesus said you will always have the poor with you. But you can do something about it and demonstrate when you do the love of God in your life. The second thing in chapter 6 he comes to from verses 5 through 15 had to do with perhaps the most common subject in Christianity. The most talked about, most preached, most books written about it. Maybe than any other topic in all the Bible, that's the subject of prayer. There's hardly anybody in the Bible who was of note that did not pray. Somebody who was spiritual, who did not pray. And we can read their prayers as, as we read Scripture. We read Jehoshaphat's prayer, Asa, Isaiah, Jeremiah. All these people prayed, and their prayers were recorded for us. And it is understood as Christians that if you're going to walk with Jesus, you're going to pray. You're going to communicate with God about something. Because we're so limited as to what we can do about anything. We can do little things, maybe what people think without praying, but there's so many things that we cannot do that only God can do. There's some things that only God can fix. There's some things that only God can change. And we are made to be acutely aware in this walk of how little we are. And we read the Bible, if we're studious and if we're taught, we begin to see how huge God is, how abundant He is. The storehouses of heaven and His ability to, as the omniscient God, to know all things at all times, at any time. He knows everything. There's nothing that He doesn't know. He can hear everybody's prayer individually at the same time. And you say, how can He do it? Because He's God. And so therefore, I don't have to wait for somebody else to get through praying so God will listen to me. But it is understood that as I live, I will pray. Remember Jesus said in Luke 18, in verse 1, He said, Men ought always to pray and not faint, draw back or give in. And most people do. One of the things that probably all of you have had a conviction about in your life is you don't pray enough. You don't pray enough because somehow we have a sense of duty when it comes to prayer. 
where we are supposed to pray, not because we have a specific need that we can think of, but I think we're just supposed to talk to God all the time. But there's more to it than that, and it wouldn't hurt if you talk to God a lot. But your motive, as it was in giving, it carries over in to prayer also. Your motive for praying, how you pray. Let's read, beginning in verse 5. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, enter into your closet, and when you shut your door, pray to your Father which is in secret, and your Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly." But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be ye not therefore likened to them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask Him. And verses 9 through 13 has to do with what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer. We'll get that next. Let's take what we've already heard so far. Let's begin with motive, the motive of a hypocrite. A hypocrite is an actor. A hypocrite is a person who assumes a character that does not belong to them. They play like they're somebody else. They may look at a crowd of people. You can, you can do this if you're a preacher. You can do this if you're a politician. You can do this wherever people look at you, wherever people listen to you. You are able to be a hypocrite or wherever people are watching you. You can take the motive for doing some things you do and you do it in order to gain admiration or to gain approval or for people to look up to you and admire you and, and make nice compliments to you. I don't know how many in my lifetime, and it's been a many, many, many times, I've been in conventions and had speaking engagements with, with a lot of other men and been on a stage, and, and they usually have one particular man, I remember, one particular man that would come up and pray and, and be told, wait till you hear this this guy pray. Man, he can pray heaven and earth together. And he would come up, whoever the guy was, and he would pray and he would take his time. And it was very dramatic. Oh, God, you know that your throne is... And, and he'd go through all of these things and finally get around to asking God for something. But it was sort of a, a little sermon in a prayer a little recital of how much I know and, and stirring up the people with a prayer. How many of you know that's not the purpose of prayer? God needs no information from us. There is nothing new to God. Amen. And there won't be anything new tomorrow. God knows everything, the end from the beginning. It doesn't mean we can't put him in remembrance. We'll get to that in just a moment too. But, but there's more to prayer than a show. But a lot of people like the show. Oh, that was such a lovely prayer. Or going into the hospital room and, and praying for somebody. And the Bible says the only prayer that will work. The scripture says this. There's only one prayer that you can pray or one way you can pray any prayer and get results. And that's the prayer of faith. And faith is always a matter of a man's heart. You cannot believe something if it isn't, first of all, in your heart as a reality. Now, you can pray like you believe something. 
But what a man wants to believe and what a man actually can believe are not always the same thing. But people can go into a hospital room and, and have a needy soul there, or maybe their family or friends are standing around and they request a prayer from you and and you pray. And you know better than to just say, Father, I ask you to bless and comfort this person through this and bring them around. He wouldn't say it that way. I'm trying to make this kind of dumb. But you know you wouldn't pray something common like that because others stand around and say, well, that wasn't much of a prayer. And you all know I'm saying this. You know it's true. That a lot of times there's an artificiality put into a prayer when others are listening. Years ago, I was asked to come to Moorhead, my alma mater, by uh, Dr. Doran. He was president then, and they were having a graduation service. And the big gym where I spent too many hours and... They had all the people there and the place was about full and all the graduates are out there on the gym floor. And I'm up on this stage with a, with a Mr. This and a big dog that and important person this. And next to, Miss, next to me was Miss Kentucky. That wasn't bad. <laughs> and uh, she was a pretty woman. And then they said then a little bit of a thing, and I'm asking our brother uh, Tommy Hamilton to come up here or, you know, a graduate here. And Tom, I see I was a Tommy then too, I think. And he's going to give us the invocation or something. And I walked up. I was so nervous. I knew better than to go up there and say, Lord, we need your blessing today and ask you to do it in Jesus' name. And then go sit down. I knew you didn't do that. Because this, the whole world out there, when it comes to a religious event or some moment of a religion, they expect something more than just something common. And I don't think anybody in that whole gymnasium, maybe with the exception of my wife, knew how common I was and how ordinary I was. And I really did not know what to pray, but I knew better than to just go up there and make a little brief something about this or that. But true to my nature, you know, I, Lord, I, this is a wonderful event and, and uh, many hours of study have come to an end and and now the world awaits these fresh new lives as they enter into it. That ain't bad. That's pretty good so far. See? <laughs> we ask you this, this day to, to guide them through their life. And then my heart says, they don't want God to guide them. Then here comes Hamilton out, see. And I pray, Lord, you bring conviction and I ask you to save them. And then I, I thought, that's not what you're supposed to say. But that's where my heart was. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And sit down. And nobody said that was a nice prayer. <laughs> nobody said, oh, that was a wonderful prayer. Because, you know, I don't know how to do the wonderful prayer. Every time I had been tempted to do it and try it, it just, it was always lacking. But from God's side, looking down at us, when moments like this come, first of all, what would you pray for a bunch of graduates? What would you pray before a ball game? Which team's going to win? I remember out at school one time, they asked me if I would pray before the... I said, no. He said, you won't? I said, no. Now, he didn't ask me why, because I would have said, I don't really know what I would pray. Because the way I've been taught, the gear that I'm in, is that the only prayer that works and what God holds us to is a prayer of faith. And if you're not praying something you really believe in or you believe for sure is going to happen or you can trust God for, 
then you're praying not unto God, but you're praying on the, on the behalf of people. I've heard people pray before a NASCAR race, and I, I remember watching, I thought, what would you pray? I mean, there's Bud Dumber all over the stands in the stadium. The necks are redder in a beat. What would you pray? The only prayer that would be probably right is, Lord, I pray that you'll save this crowd. And the ones that go to church, well, I know I'm saved. I'll go to church. Anyway, back to where I was. Prayer is only right when it's unto God on the behalf of something or somebody which is in harmony with what God's Word says He wants. Anything else becomes artificial. And if you're praying to motivate people or if you're praying for the sake of others or if you're trying to impress people, then Jesus uses the word hypocrite, which is an actor. You're praying like you really mean something, but your heart won't let you. Even though your mouth is saying it, your heart's not saying it. And so your heart's not in it, but you know people like you to pray this way, so you're doing what people want you to do. And, and there's something artificial about that. But to a hypocrite, it's just something that you do because people like for you to do that. I think in the pulpit, just, you know, talking about what I'm doing here tonight, and, and preachers, that I've known a room bigger than this full of preachers in my lifetime. I know that the pressure is on so many of these people to perform. They must perform. They must keep people happy. They have to always be doing something to... I mean, it's just like your whole life is trying to do everything except preach the Word. Now, I know they do. I'm not saying that they don't. Some of them do. But there's such a pressure to please people. And no wonder the average pastor today out of a seminary into a into a church last, at the, I think three or four years is all they can, all they can handle. And then they go get a, another kind of a job or something. Because of the pressure and the artificial, people, the expectation that people have, what you don't have in your heart to do all that. But you try. And it happens in prayer so easy because that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about our motivation. The thing that motivates us. He said in verse 5, When you pray, don't be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the street corners, and they like to be heard of men. They like people to listen to them, and all of those kind of things. You know what the Bible says about hypocrites? You read Matthew 23. You remember Jesus said, You hypocrites, and you whitewash tombs, and you won't enter in yourself and won't let others go in, and you wash the outside, but inside you're dirty because you're, you're playing a game with people. You're gaining people, but you're losing God. And when you gain people at the expense of honesty, he said, you've got your reward. Whatever they think of you is the only reward you're ever going to get because there's none on the other side. And it's really dangerous. Hypocrisy is a, is a very, very dangerous way of uh, life. But Job 8 and verse 13, it says, A hypocrite's hope shall perish. His expectation shall never come to pass. He'll, he'll never get all the things he thought he should. The Pharisee said, I thank thee, God, I'm not like other, other men. I don't do what the, I'm not like this publican over here. I fast and I pray and I give tithes. And he was just lauding all of his good works. And what Jesus said about him, when the other man broke down, he said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said this, the one who broke down, the publican, he went home justified rather than the other one. 
justified and, and right with God. Talk about the same word. He said the one man went home and he wasn't right with the Lord because what he did, he did for himself and he got his reward. He had nothing to do with God. He used God and prayer and all the ideas of God to promote himself, his ministry or his church or whatever. But he got nothing at the hour of his death when it was over. It was done. What a tragedy that is, but it happens so much because you can get caught up in that thing of, of playing games with people's minds and gaining, gaining their admiration. So we're warned against that. He said, don't be like the hypocrites are, for they, they do this and they do that. Now notice verse 6. But you, when you pray, enter into thy closet. Now, I don't know that he literally means a closet. If you want to make it a closet, you say, well, no, he said closet. Well, if he said closet, it's got to be closet. If you say it's not a closet, well, he also said cut your hand off. So if you, let's go all the way with it. I think there's symbolisms here. A closet is a private place. We hear it in uh, Psalm 91, he that dwelleth in the secret place. It's a place of personal communion with God. It's a time where you, you get rid of everything that would interfere in this, in this relationship. And, and, and you shut down the, the, all, all the electronic mess that's in the world. And it's you going before God, not only because you have a need, but because others have a need. The purpose of prayer is not just for yourself. It also includes other people. Like the Bible said, pray one for another that you may be healed and so forth. So you go before the Lord, and I want this to be a good moment because it will only happen once. And when it's over, it never comes back. Time keeps going. So I want to make the most right now and redeem the time. And I want to uh, maybe in the morning, maybe in the evening, sometime at noon, or sometime in the day, I just want forever how long it seems necessary. I want to spend a little time with the Lord. Some people uh, pray all day long. I don't mean constantly talking, but all day long you're thinking about the Lord. He's, he's in all your thoughts. And you pray. You see things. You pray. You pray in the Spirit a lot. I know I do. I know a bunch of you do. And uh, you're just in communion with the Lord all the time. It's hard for the devil to distort things in your life when you stay in touch with God. And it's hard for the devil to get you off the track when you keep God on your mind. And, and when you pray in the Spirit a lot, I don't think he knows what you're praying. Because you know, he that speaketh in a tongue speaketh not unto men, he speaketh unto God. Howbeit in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. And I don't think the devil knows mysteries. If he did, he wouldn't have crucified Jesus. We wouldn't have had that happen. So there's a way you can pray and stay in communion with the Lord that is good for you. The closet is, is a place where you go, where you are, that it's quiet. It's just between you and God. Nobody else can hear you. It's like, again, the secret place of the Most High, a place of communion, where as you dwell with the Lord, He will dwell with you. As you pour your heart out to God, He pours into you everything that you need in your life. Your tomorrows are better than your yesterdays. And God meets the least of us in those kind of places. Now, I know people who get in there with, or I've heard of people who climb in there with the shoes and shove all the coats and stuff out of the way and they get in a corner there. But, you know, I have to admire that and so do you. You might say, well, that's not exactly in what he meant by that. That's the way they see it. That's what they believe is the, is the ultimate requirement when it comes to prayer. 
It's like Romans 14. Uh, he does it as unto the Lord. It may not be the way you're doing it, but his relationship with God compels him to want to get in that closet and have that secret place and have that personal communion with God the way that he is. The closet doesn't mean we can't have group prayer. We've had prayer meetings. All of us have been in churches all of our life. There have been prayer meetings where we get together and pray. And, and that's not exactly a closet, but that's not so much personal communication as it is corporately. We're getting together. We may have a need. Turn to uh, Acts 12. Acts 12. We'll, we'll come back to, uh, to Matthew 6 in a moment, but Acts chapter 12. And look at verse 5. Peter is in prison. If you don't know the story, you can read about it when you go home. But Peter is in prison. James has been killed. And uh, Peter is next. And verse 5, it says, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Well, this is a group prayer. Now, verse 12, And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. So when it says you have to enter into your closet to pray, it probably is a good idea for all of us to have a secret time with the Lord or a private time. But this was not a private time. This was we getting together and praying for Peter. Praise God for the baptism in the Holy Spirit because we don't always know how to pray. I don't always know the details of what's going on, but God does. And the Spirit makes diligent search. And He's the one who, who as we begin to yield to Him and pray in the language that He gives us, uh, we pray according, as Paul wrote. You pray according to God's will. You can't pray wrong. You can't get it wrong when you're praying in the, praying in the Spirit. It's always right. That's a good thing. Another thing that's not in private is when two of us agree on earth is touching anything that we shall ask. That wouldn't be a private prayer. But I'm talking about prayer doesn't have to be in a closet all the time. Because there's various ways that we pray. Various systems of prayer. Nothing is deeper, nothing is probably more important to you than you and your time alone in prayer before God. Again, not only because you have a need, but he said you can come boldly to the throne of grace in time of need that you might obtain mercy and help, but also because other people have a need. The more you walk with the Lord, the more you see other people's needs. And then again, hopefully you begin to realize that you have within you a promise from God or many promises that you can do something about other people's needs. If you didn't believe that, you wouldn't pray for other people because you don't think you could help them. But the Bible says pray one for another and James, James chapter 5 talks about praying for each other. Or the prayer of faith in James 5.15, the prayer of faith heals the sick. And we get together and pray, and as you pray privately, or we get together to touching anything, it works. Jesus one time prayed, who taught this in the Sermon on the Mount here. He one time at the tomb of Lazarus in John 11. It wasn't a private prayer. He spoke out loud. They could all hear him. 
He prayed aloud. So we can't limit ourselves in some legalistic way to say that we can only pray in a closet alone and by ourselves. And if we don't, then we're missing God. Because sometimes that's right. You should. Other times you're together with a bunch of guys or girls and friends, fellowshipping at home, get a phone call. Somebody needs help. How many of you know you can sit around a table and pray, pray for somebody? I mean, you can press in for things like that because prayer sometimes does require pressing in. But here's a warning in verse 7. Go back to Matthew 6 and verse 7. But when you pray, not if you pray, but when you pray, use not vain repetitions. Vain repetitions, vain repeatings. Vain repetitions, uh, it characterizes, as one, one person said, it characterizes wordiness. Wordiness, lots and lots of words. Maybe eloquent words. But vain repetitions characterizes wordiness. Much talk without content. Repeating the same thing over and over again. Christians do it all the time. And are greatly offended when you tell them that that's not the way God taught us to pray. But they are offended. But they do. They pray about the same subject over and over and over again. And one has to wonder, at what point do you believe? At some point you have to believe. Anybody can ask. Asking is worldwide. Petitioning, requesting, inquiring, praying. Talking to God. People do it all the time. Some people pray for hours. How many people, when they pray, believe that what they're asking for, God will do it? They keep repeating the same prayer over and over again because they're hoping it'll work. Didn't Jesus say in that same verse 7, they think they shall be heard at the end of the verse, they think that they shall be heard, why? For the much speaking. Well, what's the Lord say in counter to that? You're not heard because you speak a lot. You're not heard because you use a lot of words. It's the prayer of faith. The Lord's prayer he showed us here is on what? 63 words? It's not words that move God. It's not lots of words that he, that he wants. It's just a prayer of faith. Believe what you pray. Again, if we prayed some of the things that we ought to pray, the, the way it should be prayed, it would be very brief and to the point. What if we got together and had a big banquet, and I, got to, and I was asked to pray, as most preachers are. And he said, Father, bless this food to our good in Jesus' name. Isn't that good enough? Everybody's happy with it because they can start eating. But uh, there's nothing wrong with it. But when you pray as he is talking here in vain repetitions it's it's useless speaking without distinct expression or purpose you're just saying things you really don't believe you're trying to move god with repeating again and again and showing god by the length of time you spend agonizing about it or the amount of time you you say it or the number of times that you said that surely this will move God 
in my behalf. And as has happened through history, when God did not answer that prayer as they bombarded heaven, and God did not answer that, they changed their theology then to fit an experience. And their experience becomes their theology. Well, you can't say just because you pray that God will do it, because we prayed all night long and all day long God didn't do it. God could, God has, but He might not. So you just have to pray if it be thy will. Well, a lot of people believe that, and a lot of people go that, that way. But that's not what the Bible teaches. I came out of a home which my dad and my brother were Catholic. And I had many opportunities to go to the Catholic church with my dad. I always thought it was interesting to go in there and look at all the stuff on the walls, all the statues and all the, all the different kinds of things in there. And... Uh, I never did know what knee to genuflect on when we went down there to the pew because they genuflect and, and the holy water out front and the cross and sign of the cross, all the symbolism and the stuff that goes with the Catholic faith, the Catholic belief system. But I know when I get down, my dad would get down to the, to the pew. They have a little kneeling thing in each pew. The ones I was in had a kneel rail. And you'd be, you could sit in your seat and you'd kneel on there and you had a little padded and you put your elbows there, and they would pray the rosary. And many times on those beads, they had to each certain beads was a Hail Mary. And they would say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for sinners now at the hour of our death. You grab the next bead. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord. And then you get to where you're, you're speeding up because it's taking too long. I'm telling you what I saw. They were sincere. I'm sure my dad was sincere. That was all he had. That was that, that form and that kind of ritual or routine he had was all he had. There was nothing more. There was nothing else spiritual in his whole life but that moment of saying the rosary. And Catholics are encouraged to repeat that prayer over and over and over and over again, especially during duress. I asked a Catholic nun once, I shared that here, I asked a Catholic nun once who came forward and she was saying something about what I had said. I had said something about, I'd mentioned Catholics. I said, you know, my dad being a Catholic, he prayed the, the rosary all the time, probably every day. You, you memorize things that like that. You can say it all the time. And I said, yet what a waste of time it had to be because in John chapter 9 and verse 31, the Bible says that God heareth not sinners. And yet the end of that Hail Mary is pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. They've never, they've never known redemption. They've heard about it. They think that Mary was a co-redeemer with Jesus. The two of them together is what brought redemption, but it's never been in their hearts. Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. When my dad was at his funeral in the Catholic Church, I remember the priest said, you all keep continue to pray for Jim. And, of course, I'm sitting there thinking, you, it's too late now. It is appointed a man wants to die, and after this, the judgment. There's no purgatory. Our prayers isn't going to speed up his time in that place that you all think there is. 
But I wasn't going to say that in the middle of my dad's funeral or to him either. I'm just saying that rituals and traditions and religious routines that people buy into sometimes are nothing more upon examination than vain repetition. You are saying something you really don't mean. You're saying something you really don't understand. It's called rote. You've been taught man's way by rote. It says you, you memorize it. And you're doing what the system wants you to do. But you can do that with your bedtime prayers. <clears throat> How many were taught? Now lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep up. I should die before I wake up. I pray the Lord my soul. It's not like a rap song. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul will keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul will take. Well, you can get saved and bypass that. But I didn't know that. My dinner prayer. Talk about vain repetition. I didn't know. I learned a prayer in vacation Bible school as a little bitty kid. And that was my food prayer. Thank you for the world so sweet. Thank you for the food we eat. Thank you for the birds that sing. Thank you, God, for everything. Amen. That was my prayer. And if I was ever asked to pray at some big family dinner with visitors there, it just horrified me that I had to say something different. How? I wouldn't know what else to say. I knew two prayers in my life. I knew two well. Thank you for the world so sweet. Thank you for the food we Thank you for the birds. Thank God for everything. Our Father's heart in heaven, how to be a name. Can you come to be on earth? Give us a day. And I, and I knew that one. In fact, the weekend I got saved, let me get off myself and just tell you a story. The weekend that I got saved was a lay witness mission. And it consisted of various churches in the city inviting teams of ordinary people, housewives, principals, uh, workers, salesmen, whatever, not ministers to come to your town and they would be put in various churches and they'd ask the people in the churches to keep a couple in your home. In that first night, on a Friday night, we had this pitch-in supper. And Bonnie and I were carrying our meal around the corner, and there was one of them that had, you know, had a little tag on, so you know what the name was. I didn't have my tag yet. And one of these was smiling big, and I, I, I told Bonnie, I said, there's one of them. And you got to understand, I'm basketball coach. I'm, I'm not into this. I'm playing the game. This guy meets me and everything, and I, what a strange bunch of people. The Christian church I grew up in had nobody, nobody like this. Nobody talked about Jesus. Nobody was that giddy and, and joyful about life, spiritual life. Nobody. Never met anybody ever. And the more they talked about Jesus, the more in my heart I thought, you know, it should be like that. But I couldn't function if I did that. I wouldn't have any friends. Where would I go? Who would I run around with? Nobody in the church is like that. I'd be one of these religious... F-O-N's, Fonz, a freak of nature. I, I wouldn't have anybody see. And we went over to church after we ate a little pitch-in supper. We'd go over in the church in the sanctuary. We had the fellowship hall here, walk across here, go in the church building. And uh, some of these people were going to share their testimony. I'll never forget this. If I had, I wouldn't tell it. I'm sitting behind everybody. I want to keep an eye on this whole crowd because I ain't too sure about all these people. Sister so-and-so, they called her sister so-and-so. Is she a Catholic? Is she a nun? No. She's a regular woman. Sister, what do they call her sister for? Because she's a Christian. Okay, so she comes up front. 
Well, I want to praise the Lord, first of all, for being here. I want to thanks, give thanks to our Heavenly Father for being so good to me. And I'm thinking, I ain't never heard about Nobody talks like that. You might hire a preacher. He's paid to talk like that. But nobody does that. Not in my lifetime. I didn't hang around people like that. And that fellow that shook my hand with, I mean, he didn't shake it like a man. He shook it kind of warm with both his hands. I thought, oh, brother, we've got one of them now. And I didn't go for that. I'm sitting in the back of the church listening to these people. And this guy walks, I heard a guy coming up, up, up the aisle. I looked around and it was that same guy. He said, you mind if I sit here? And what I wanted to say was, go sit up there somewhere. And I scooted over just a little bit and let him sit down. And he, he's still smiling. I, when he, I scooted over some more. Uh, you better not touch me, boy. You better not. And then he leans over. He goes, psst, psst. Now, see, I know how to be right. I was raised with a little bit of, I said, yeah. He said, I'm going to testify next. He said, would you pray for me? What would you have said? What would the least of you have said if somebody said, I'm going to pray next? Will you pray? What would you say? No. I don't know how. Nuh-uh. I just said what you said. Yeah, sure. And so this guy got up. It's his turn. He went up front and got in front. Crowd about this size. He stood up front there and he said, I'm Gary Overley from Kansas. And he said, uh, before I bring my witness, I don't want uh, uh, Brother Hamilton back there to pray for me. Oh, man, yeah, yeah, yeah. All of that, all of that. Now, you and I both, I wasn't going to stand up and say, thank you for the world so sweet. Thank you, thank you for the food that we eat. Well, I wasn't going to do that, not even with drama. You couldn't put it in drama. Thank you for the birds. You know why? Because none of that works. And everybody in there, when they said, Brother Ham was going to pray, nobody had ever heard me pray. Not my Sunday school class, nobody. And I remember, I remember sitting, standing there thinking, uh, two thought. One, I want, I would like to kill you. <laughs> and secondly, I am scared to death. But as I've learned so many times in, in my life, there's no accidents. Every situation you find yourself in is a learning situation. And I was exposed. God exposed me before myself. I had, every, I had it all figured out. I was in a church that was, had a good comfort zone. Nobody was ever put on a pressure. Got it made. Brother Hamilton, will you pray for me? Well, I had to make one up. I had to make up a prayer. You talk about hypocrisy. I didn't know what to pray. Plus, I stuttered. It was just horrible. It was awful. Ah, Lord. Uh, uh, yeah, Jesus' name. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, he's going to say something, and, and uh, you, uh, yeah, you help him. What do you say? Bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts which we are about to receive from thy bounty through Jesus Christ. That's what my daddy prayed for dinner table. Bless the Lord, these gifts about to receive from And it was it. I didn't know what to say, but I said something like that. And I sat down and I was, I was just tore up. 
I couldn't stand that guy because he smiled. I couldn't stand him more because he talked to the soft voice. And I really couldn't stand him at all when he wanted me to pray for him. And I, I was pretty bad. I was sitting back here thinking, oh, God. I did. Oh, God. Because I don't know when I had ever begun at that weekend. This was the beginning of what kept going for the whole weekend until Sunday morning I got saved. It just started then that you are a class A hypocrite. You are in your own eyes good enough to go to heaven. And you don't know what you're doing and you're scared and you can't pray. You've been in church your whole life. You don't know. You don't even know what you're doing. Well, then that was the reality of it. I began to realize at 28 years of age how much of a phony and a hypocrite before God I was. My friends didn't care because they were like me. But I was really singled out by the Lord that I had a learning experience it was an exposure to of just how vain and ugly I was. And it got worse. The next day we had to go out to high school and all the other churches in town got there. This place was packed in the lunchroom and, and it was just packed. And these kids were singing about Jesus, and I am, I said it was hay fever. It, it tore me up. I'm sitting there trying, I'm about to cry. I listen to them, these kids talking about Jesus, and you get this glow on their face. I'm thinking, oh, God, I'm such a sinner. Oh, I, uh, how you doing? You know, if I, <coughs> it's just hay fever, I think. I don't know, you know. <laughs> and on Sunday morning, that lady testified, and I couldn't stand it. I just tears began to trickle down my cheek, and the preacher said, If you'll take the first step, God will be with you all the rest of your steps. And he has. Forty-three years, he sure has. He hasn't backed away any. But it all began with me being asked to pray in public. Oh, brother, what do you do now? Well, I did. I, I prayed, but... As I said, Christians pray in vain, just like, you know, we talk about Catholics. Christians pray in vain all the time. They ask and ask and ask and ask for say, Oh, God, you know I want this. Oh, Lord, you know my heart. Lord, you know how I'm trying. Lord, you know we need you. By, Lord, I need this. To happen. Lord, I, for this healing or money or, or bills or a, a kid in need or in jail or something. And, oh, God, you know I have. And, and it's just such a prayer that is without any knowledge of the word. And when you tell them that, even today, when you say that to people, they're so offended because you told them the truth. I go to church. I'm not talking about going to church. I'm talking about praying a prayer that you can believe. Nobody's ever taught you how to believe. Turn to Mark 11. Uh, what's that verse? 24. I'll come back here to chapter 6 in just a moment. Because you see, rather than vain repetitions, I believe you can pray one time in faith. One time in faith. Concerning, listen to me now, make sure you get all this right. Concerning the promises of God, that which is evident and clear in the Scripture, if you believe it, you only need to ask for it once. And you cannot make it come to pass by continually asking for it and not believing it. It doesn't work that way. That's not what God said. Mark eleven twenty four. Jesus said, What things soever you desire. Now, we all have something we need. 
This is an open invitation for anybody in this room to pray. What things, whoever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive it. And the, the Greek means have received it. And you shall have it. Let me read in the World English Bible. It says, believe that you have received them. In the today's Christian New Testament, it says, have faith that whatever you ask for in prayer is already granted you. And you will find that it will be. Now, if I know when I pray for something, if I know that it has been granted when I ask, should I not also know that when I pray for something that God has promised, and Jesus said, when you pray, if you believe you've got it, you shall have it. Should I not believe I have what I'm asking for? Now, if I believe I have it, there's no reason for me to ask for it again unless I don't believe I have it. I don't need 10 people to agree with me about that if I believe I have it. I'm not trying to be an individual and, and, and the Lone Ranger. I'm just saying the truth is Jesus said, when you pray, believe you have received and it shall be given. The condition for receiving an answer to what you ask for is believing that you have it. You know, faith is a noun, believe is a verb. Faith is a thing, believing is the action of the thing. To believe is to do, is to act like something is so. I don't have believe in God, I have faith in God. I'm not faithing in God, I'm believing God. The words faith and believe go together. And they're left out of most people's lives. They know what the words mean. They can spell the words. They hear the words in church. The words are used all the time. Oh, he loved God. He believed God. I, I heard that the other night. It's just such an assumed thing that everybody, because they go to church, because you join church or you're a member, it is assumed that you just believe God. And so, therefore, when you pray, uh, of course you're praying in, in faith. You're a Christian, aren't you? And yet that's seldom been true. That's seldom been true. But the Bible says when you pray, believe that you have received and you shall have it. Now, if I wasn't feeling good or if there was some kind of a physical stirring or problem and I go to that closet and I get in that closet and I sit there with my Bible, with the Word of God and I open up the Word to the Verses that I'm already familiar with and I've heard for 40 years. And I turn over to Mark 11, 24, and I say, Now, Lord, could I do this? Now, Lord, you've said in your word, whatever I want, if I'll ask you for it, you'll do it. Now, you said you'll do it if I believe you for it. Now, you said in James chapter 5 that the prayer of faith will heal the sick. You said in James chapter 1, when I pray, I must believe. If I don't believe when I pray, then you said, don't even think you're going to get anything from God. Your Christian life is going to be a big disappointment concerning the power, the power part of it. Because, you know, why do we not have any power? I go to church, I give, I try, I, I, I do this and that, and nothing good happens to me. It's not about action and activities and, and, and flesh. It's all about faith. 
It's taking God at His word as though it's done. One man in the Bible said, I will not believe unless I see. Jesus said, blessed is a man who believes before he sees. Blessed is a man who can take God at his word. If God said, I'm healed, I am. If he said, I am, I am. If I believe it, i got to have this in my heart. If it's in my heart, I'm not trying to get it anymore. I'm through trying to get it. I have it. My heart has embraced the truth that God says in His Word that I am what He says I am. I can do all things through Christ. He is with me. He will protect me. He will keep me because He said He will. I'm simply going into that closet with an open Bible and, and, and I'm doing Isaiah 43, 26 in, the, in that closet. Now what does Isaiah 43, 26 say? Isaiah 43, verse 26 Put me in remembrance. Is that right? I'm, I'm in my closet. I got my Bible out. I don't get in a closet today, but I still do this. What I'm saying right now, I still do it. On occasions, depending on the urgency in my heart for what I'm praying for, I'll do this. I go before the Lord, not because I don't know what He said, but I want to make sure that when I go before the Lord, I'm not there aimlessly. I am there specifically. He said, put me in remembrance. Your Bible says this, declare thou. What does declare mean? Say it. Declare you. You declare. Put me in remembrance. He said, declare thou. That thou mayest be what? Justified. I can call to remembrance. I can talk about remembrance a lot. God said, put me in remembrance. How many of you have ever heard of Jehoshaphat? Okay, turn to Jehoshaphat chapter 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Jehoshaphat. Put me in remembrance. That's what God said. Put me, remind me. Come before the Lord with words. You're even told to do that. Come before the Lord with words. The story here is one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. They are, they are being invaded by three armies. And uh, they know within themselves they can't fight them. They have no might against three nations that are coming against them, armed to the teeth, and, and they're all militant. And here you are with your wife and kids, and you're not fighters. And yet you know something has to be done or you're going to die because they are coming at you. God didn't prevent them from coming. Here they come. These are trials and troubles that confront all of us. You know you can't whip them, but you know you're going to have to face them. What are you going to do? Well, as he would say here, what have we been taught to do? What if I said to you out there, what have you been taught to do? How many of you have been in this church more than 10 years? What have we been taught to do? When the, when, when the devil comes in, when the enemy comes in and he comes against you, what do you say? Resist the devil what? He said, and he'll flee from you. And you resist him as in 1 Peter 5, steadfast in the faith. You've got to believe while you're standing there feeling bad, looking bad, and, and fear is all over the room. You've got to believe that what you can't see is happening. You could very well die from the natural sense 
If you don't do something about this, you're probably going to die. Now, God said you would live. And a lot of people you know have said they're going to live and not die, and they died. Now, what are you going to do? Are you going to be afraid to trust God because they tried it and it didn't work? I'm not saying we'll have our chances. I'm just saying that here we are. What have we been taught? I, I don't know what's in hearts. I know what a mouth can say. I'm not sure the heart is speaking it. I know when the words of my mouth are speaking the words that God has put in my heart. I know when these two confirm the word of God, I know that I have faith. I wish I could tell you, I could believe anything I need to, that I want to. I can't. And there's a lot of times my I'm so limited. I was in a hospital room last week with a brother. And I walked in the room. When I walked in the room, just walked in the hospital room, he was in his bed, kind of propped up, and I thought, he's dead. First thought came to my mind, well, he's, he's a dead man. He's not going to live. He's going to die. And, of course, the wife, you know, we're believing for a miracle. And uh, you're believing with us, aren't you? I don't think I said anything. Because I'm not going to believe. I want to believe some things, but there's some things I can't believe. Do you all hear what I'm saying? There's some things that I really wish I could and want to believe. I'd love to believe I could go down there to that Coastal Children's Hospital and empty that place out. Just everybody be restored perfectly back to I wish I could do that. But I know in my heart, I can't do it. I know there's a lot of sick people left on the streets of Jerusalem when Jesus rose from the dead. They never got healed when he walked the streets. The apostles had a chance to heal some of them. But he didn't try to do that everywhere he went. I know I can't either. I am limited to what I'm inspired to of God. I know that. I've learned that through the years. I know when I'm believing, and I know when I want to believe, but I can't believe. There's no sense trying to play the game. Oh, yeah, praise God, he's going to live and not die. And you know in your heart he ain't going to live. And the phone call early the next morning was that he had died. And I wish I could say, oh, I could lay hands on him. I think somebody said up there, well, why don't you lay hands on him? You know what I could say? It won't do any good. Well, these signs shall follow those who believe. They lay hands on the sick. Read the rest of it. And the prayer... Prayer of faith will heal the sick. I don't know that I can believe that he's going to be healed, and I couldn't. I could pray, oh, in the name of Jesus, I could do that kind of stuff. Well, what we're talking about, I couldn't believe he's going to be healed. But prayer is not going to work for anybody. Prayer isn't going to work for anybody unless you pray the prayer of faith. And we come to a time in our life when we're just not there. It's hard for us to admit we're not there. And you tell people that say, oh, we're, go- we're just pressing in. We're holding on to God. And we're moving in. We've been praying for an hour. Come join us. Think, you don't have to pray for an hour to pray the prayer of faith. What do you believe? And all them times you could have been learning what to believe. All them opportunities you had to be somewhere to be taught how to believe God. How to have faith in God instead of how to be a member of a church, how to be a, a mentor to the young men, how to do all these other things. You had a chance to learn how to trust in God with all of your heart. And now in a time of need, you can't. You don't know how. All you know to do is just pray. You got time and you pray and you pray. And, oh God, oh God, oh God. 
And Jesus said, when you pray, what does he say? When you pray, what? Believe. That's what he said. If we did not, if I did nothing else here, in the brief time we're on this earth meeting in this cathedral here, if we did nothing more than accomplish one fact that we have taught people how to believe, we did a marvelous work here. Because I still run into people today that I knew many years ago. Many years ago. And I haven't been around these people in the last few years, but when you get around them, you realize that something has lost, something has gone. Talking more about your troubles and your problems or your blood pressure, you're talking more about this and I don't know about this. Do you know that blood pressure is subject to the law of faith? It is. And people take offense at that. And I'm saying, look, i got something better. This is good. This is good. Well, the whole point was to pray once and believe. And if you, when you pray, if you believe, then you can start thanking God that you have something you can't see. Because faith is the evidence of things not seen. What am I expecting to happen? I'm expecting for God to do what he said. That's called hope. Faith is what gives substance to expectation. Faith gives reality to what you can't see because faith says, I have it. I don't have it because I see it. I'm not healed because I feel better. I'm healed because I believe. I'm blessed because I believe. This paid for a home I prayed for years ago I, I, that doesn't make any sense in the natural because I don't, I don't have any income at all. I live by what, what comes in and I can't even get a job. I couldn't. There's no way I could ever have anything like this, but you know, I can believe. Why can't I believe that? Why can't I believe for a house? <clears throat> Why can't I believe for a new car? I've had new cars. I don't mind driving old ones, but I can have a new one. How about a new suit instead of one at some other place? I'm not against buying something that fits, but what can I believe? I started asking myself those questions. I was by myself. I couldn't talk to the crowd I was running with. They couldn't, they couldn't enter into this. It was me and the Lord and growing and talking and discussing in the secret place of wrestling, coming to what I believe. This is the way you live. You live by faith. You walk by faith. And this is the only way that you can rightly relate to God. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Oh, God, you're making it narrow and it's not easy. No, it isn't, but it's right. I'll conclude and say this because I could keep going on about this. We, we should be delighted in the fact that God has singled you out to believe Him. Amen. To believe Him. Not just to know that He is. The devil believes that. But to believe Him in such a way that what He has said, He will do. Why do you pray? Because that's the way God set it up. Here's a promise. You want it? Faith comes how? By hearing. By hearing by the Word of God. God inspires you to believe for something that you wonder, how can I ever have it? And He deals with you. You wrestle and that thing comes in your heart and you, you reach out and you embrace it.
and your friends think you're nuts. Because when I embrace it, I confess it. I say, I have a new car. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> and then when it came in, everybody said, how'd you get that? I didn't say it's magic. I just said, I just trust the Lord. I just told you God would do it. Begin to heal people. Lay hands on people. They got to be healed. Because you believe it. Folks, this is what prayer is all about. It's not about you attracting attention to yourself. It's about you living in that place with God where he infuses in you the ability to take him at his word and count on him to do what he said. Amen. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, bless your word to your people. Cause us to have our eyes opened to see what you're saying. To have a heart that's big enough for the word to fit in it. That we would be word of God minded. And not just have the word in us, but to understand it. To live in the confines and the boundaries of it. To find our delight in believing you. To know that you're in all of our tomorrows. You'll satisfy us with long life and show us your salvation. How wonderful it is to be able to believe that. Grant that in our assembly. Make us to be a group of believers. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.